Hebrews chapter 2. As you can see, the title of the message is, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 11. I used this verse last week for sanctification, but it kind of fell right in here. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brethren, part of his family. That's amazing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse Talking about the, uh, the ones who went on before us, Abraham, Moses, and all the other ones, Jacob, it says in verse 16, but now they desire a better country. That is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. And you know, there's just something wonderful, there's just something special about our Savior and our God not being ashamed of us. That Jesus Christ would not be ashamed to call me His brother and part of His family. I mean, we have done nothing good to deserve His attention. We've done nothing good enough to deserve His love. But He's done everything to deserve ours. And it just seems like we need to not be ashamed of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Romans 1.16, we know what it says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We should say with overwhelming gratitude and thankfulness that I am not ashamed of Jesus. I am not ashamed of that Gospel. You know, the word shame means to blush. The word shame means to blush. Or as if you're doing something wrong. You know, if you feel shame that you've, uh, you've been with someone or you've done something or uh, something that you associated yourself with has caused you to shame, to, to blush. Say, I've done something wrong. I feel shame. Well, ashamed means to feel shamed. That's all. To feel dishonored in some way. Or to feel disgraced. Or to feel like you're being mocked. I'm ashamed. Or I'm guilty of something that I've done. Well, let me ask you this. What might hinder you? What might keep you from saying, I am not ashamed? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the story goes about a church, maybe in Russia, I believe it was, and this, this little group of believers would meet at the expense of the government that didn't really want them meeting and having their Christian, their Christian meetings, but they would meet and um, get together and, and hear the preaching and praise God. And one day, a couple armed men came into the church, burst in the back doors. And think of it right now, if those doors open and armed men came in, and they said, everyone who's a Christian, stand up. Everyone who's a Christian, stand up. Well, maybe half stood up. The other half stayed seated. And they said, those who are seated can leave. They thought they had spared their lives. As soon as the last one walked out, the men laid down their guns and said, we just wanted to see who were the real Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear, <laughs> I know that a, a shell's just been loaded into the chamber. And, uh, you know, what would make hinder you from saying, I'm not ashamed? You know, when your life's on the line. 
Boy, we're not there, are we? We're not in that kind of situation. But no one would say, I guarantee you, no one in this room would say, I'm ashamed of the Christ who died on that cruel cross for me. I'm ashamed. We wouldn't say that. And no one would say they're ashamed of the Gospel that saved their souls. There's no one here that would say, oh, that makes me disgusted. I I feel guilty when I even think about it. I, I should be mocked for what I believe. No. No one would say that about the Gospel. But we do. We do in our speech and in our actions. Or should I say our inaction. What we don't do many times is what defines us. What we don't do defines us. It says, I'm ashamed. You know, is there anyone who would stop someone from walking off a cliff to their own death? Would you feel ashamed? To say, stop! Don't go any farther. If you A few more steps, you would have plummeted to your death. You know, maybe they're out there in Kinsale. What is that? Uh, the old head. Don't go any farther! Are you crazy? You're going to fall off the cliff? You wouldn't feel ashamed of telling someone that they're going to plunge their own death. How about the bridges out? Don't go any farther. The bridge is out. This little bridge down here. Your house is on fire. (laughs) You wouldn't be ashamed of telling somebody your house is on fire. Get out. Our involvement with people is a matter of life and death. So a question we have to ask ourselves, have I ever been involved Have I ever been involved in winning someone to Jesus Christ? I didn't say you were the one that sat down and pursued that. I'm saying maybe you gave a track. Maybe you prayed for them. In some way, you were involved in someone being saved. Can can you say that? You know, by the way, we're all just cogs in the wheel. We're all just working together on this. One sows, one reaps, one waters, but it's God who gives the increase. We're just working at this all together. But have you ever been involved in it? Maybe the question of how can I be a better witness is answered for us in the passage that I want to take you to. And that is back to Romans chapter 1. How can I be a better witness? Why have I never been involved in some way of someone coming to Christ? If I've had the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus Christ, I found out that they were given a track that someone had been praying for them. There was a whole lot of work before I may have come on the scene or maybe you have come on the scene and led someone to Christ. There's already been seeds planted. So I just want us to answer that question. How can I be a better witness? And one of the things that that caught my eye was in Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. Romans 1.14 says, I am debtor. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I am a debtor to preach the gospel. This should be our green light to go. If anything should get you up out of your seat or off your tod to go do something for Jesus Christ, it ought to be this verse. I am a debtor. I owe somebody something. You know, have you ever... I don't know. Maybe it's that light down there at, uh, what is the name of that street where it turns into Washington Street and there's Groton, Groton Street and you just sit there at the light. It's like it never changes. 
Sometimes I think days and weeks go by, and I'm still sitting there waiting for this thing to change. Or you're behind a bus, and you wonder, is there anything in front of the bus? We're not moving. And you kind of fall asleep. And then when the light changes, you're kind of like daydreaming. You hear? Get moving. Well, this is your hunk. I am a debtor. This is the hunk that says, get moving. You're a debtor. And so am I. And we must see ourselves as debtors. That means we're one under obligation to do something. We owe someone something. You know, the Bible says in Romans 13, 8, Owe no man anything. It just says I'm a debtor. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So let me just say this. Brethren, we ought to show love to the world by telling that old, old story. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the world. So we should love the world. I am a debtor to everyone out there. To the Jew and to the Greek. To the wise and to the unwise. I am a debtor to them. Somebody saw themselves a debtor to tell me. And I need to share the Gospel with them and show them the love of Jesus Christ. Because I am to owe no man anything but to love one another. And to show love to this world. You know, there was a... um, sermon that I heard when I was young in the Lord and it was by an ant man named Paris Reedhead. If you ever get to uh, look him up, Paris Reedhead, it was called Ten Shekels in a Shirt. John, I think you listened to it. Well, it, it meant a lot to me. Ten Shekels in a Shirt, that's the name of it. And uh, it, it kind of makes you think, why do I serve God? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself out? It's, it, it, you'll find it in Judges chapter 17. You ought to read it. It comes right after, right after the, the story and the, the truth told about um, Samson. comes this story about Micah, a man of Ephraim. And he hires a priest for his house, which is wrong. And uh, he says, I'll give you ten shekels and a change of clothes, a change of garments every year. If you be my priest. And he made little gods and and he, and he bought himself a little priest that he was going to worship God. It's sad, isn't it? But that was the time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in the, in the land. and Everybody just did what they wanted to do. But we, I want you to understand that we serve God because we're debtors. The sermon keys in on why we do what we do. Why do I serve God? I am not a hireling. Uh, there's churches back in the States that put out good, hard-earned money to help me stay here in Ireland apart from my own personal pension. So every dime they put in is to keep the Eberleys here who believe they've been called to Ireland to preach the gospel. But I'm not a hireling. You can't tell me what to preach. You can't tell me what... I am serving Jesus Christ here. I am a debtor to Him. And I am a debtor to them also. But first to that, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who I'm a debtor to. So I'm not a hireling. I'm a servant of God. And that's how you need to see yourself as a servant of God. Now Romans 8.12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh 
to the live after the flesh. We, I am not a debtor to this flesh. I'm not to be getting things. I'm to be giving. The flesh wants to get all the time. But the Spirit wants to give. So you have to think of it in that story. Now let me get back. I was taken by the story that he told also of a missionary that was going to Africa. And he struggled when he got there in his hotel room about why he was there. It was only a few weeks and he was losing it. These people don't want me here. They hate me. What am I doing here? Did I make a mistake? And he toiled and he, and he was taken with the fact that why am I here? So it finally sunk in that he was here for the glory of Jesus Christ. That he was in, that he was in Africa, not for the African people, first and foremost. He was there for Jesus Christ. Do you know you can go to a people? You could be called as a missionary and be called to those people, and those same people might hate you or discourage you, and you start to hate them. The same people God called you to, you got it stood on your head. You have to turn it around and say, I came here for Jesus. I'll never be disappointed if I'm serving Him, if I realize that's who I owe. So when I came to Ireland, this is what jolted me about the message that he told inside the other message. The fact that I was taught this lesson, I was jolted in my spirit, that I came to Ireland for Jesus Christ. That's what's going to keep me there. That's what I, I came for Him. And the Irish people, or whoever's in Ireland, I also owe them. But first, my first dedication is to Christ. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll show you that. In Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see that you owe Him something. You owe Jesus your life. You're a debtor. This lesson smote me in my heart. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, here it is, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, the name of the message is, I am not ashamed. He despised the shame of the cross. Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. He endured the shame of the cross. And then verse 3 says, for consider him that endured endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Jesus endured the opposition of those that he was dying for. The very same people that he went to the cross for were opposing him. There was a contradiction. Here's the one dying on the cross, and those he was dying for were against him and opposing him. That's who I owe my life to. Jesus Christ. And that got down into my heart and I realized that I am here to serve Jesus Christ. I am a debtor first to Him and Him alone. We are debtors to Jesus Christ and to those precious souls that God has sent us to. Whoever that might be. You know, you're all missionaries. Each and every one of us is a missionary. Whether it be on your own street or whether you go over to Siberia. Just a matter of placement. Where you're at. Location. Now, what does that sign mean? <laughs> There's an unguarded key ahead. Yeah, you're going to go into the lock or something. 
Turn around. Don't keep going the way you're going, right? How about this one? Slippery road ahead. How about this one? Huh. Anybody know that person? What's that? Amy Carmichael. Can I tell you what Amy Carmichael said? She saw herself a debtor. And that woman was pressed into service. At the turn of the century, she went to southern India. Amy, in what may be described as a dream or a vision in her mind, saw this. And please see the analogy. There's an analogy in here. A huge ravine with no bottom lay at her feet, she saw. She looked about only to see multitudes of people of all shapes and sizes moving toward the edge. They were going right over the cliff. Why? Then she saw they were blind. Their cries pierced the air as they fell into the blackness. The streams of people continued endlessly flailing, shrieking as they clutched at the air. Some made not a sound. I thought, why is no one stopping them? There are some centuries along the edge, but there's huge gaps in between them. There was a group, backs turned to the ravine, busying themselves with different things, but oblivious to the scene. Some looked for centuries, but few would go. There were times when the group felt burdened, but it passed, and the march into the blackness went on and on. No one was warning the people. No one helped the blind as they went off into eternity. One young girl cried out, we must stand in the gap. But she was met with a reproof that all would be fine. Calm down. It's okay. And they sang a hymn, and then they went home. Amy heard a voice say to her, what hast thou done? Thy brother's blood crieth unto me. She felt like she was a debtor to those people. My friend, there's huge gaps. The world has turned itself to evil in the worst way. And there's huge gaps. And people are falling into hell. One after another as we sit here today. And we're going to sing a hymn. And then we're going to go home. And we're going to be part of Amy's dream. Amy's vision. This young girl didn't see it that way. She went on to make such a difference in southern India. We owe to tell people that there's danger ahead. That they're going to go off a cliff. Stand in the gaps. Put up the stop sign. You're going to see people and meet people I'll never meet. And be an influence to people I will never influence. And I know people and influence people that you'll never meet. So it's up to you, us individually, but as a church, to march forward and realize that we're debtors. First, to the one who died on the cross for us. I am ready to preach. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. You read the next verse, verse 15, it says this. Because he's a, Paul says, I'm a debtor. Then he says, so, Romans 1.15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to preach. And there's not one person in there who hasn't been called to preach. It just means proclaim the good news. To tell someone about Jesus Christ. 
We must prepare to go. Every single day we should be preparing to go. Now, I don't mean across the world. I mean maybe just at work. Continue to be a good Christian witness. You'd be surprised what a testimony can do amongst the unbelievers. Our daily life is preparing us to go. Our study of the Bible, our obedience, our prayer, our praise, our fellowship with each other, all prepares us to stay in the will of God. And when he says, I want you to do this, it's not a problem. I'm ready. I'm willing. Someone today just said they wanted to serve in the church in some capacity. We'll find somewhere to plug them in. This message in particular is about being ashamed of the gospel. Being ashamed of Christ. Being afraid to give someone a track. I am ready to preach, Paul said. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world. That's, that's a calling upon each and every one of us. It's a mandate for us. It's a command from God. Go. For all the English teachers out there, it's in the imperative, I was told. That means he's not giving you good advice. He's giving us a command. Go. If we don't go, then we're disobeying the command. It's as simple as that. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Lest you think, well, that's for everybody else. That's for whoever. But it's not for me. Acts chapter 8. You remember Stephen had just been stoned to death. And there was a young man at his stoning. His name was Saul. Who later became Paul. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church. Which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. Who? All the church at Jerusalem. Thousands upon thousands of new believers. Abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So the whole church was scattered. But the apostles stayed. Verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering in every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore... They that were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. Who? The apostles? No. The church. It was the church that made a difference. It was us that made the difference. It was us that were scattered everywhere. And we didn't go out and just stay out there and, uh, without making a difference wherever God had placed us, wherever God had to scatter us to. That's why the persecution came. God brought that persecution. To get them to go out and spread the gospel. It's for each and every one of us is all I'm trying to say. We give all we got. Turn to Acts chapter 21. We should just give it all that we got. You know, Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And they're all trying to keep him from going. Agabus, the prophet, in verse 11. Chapter 21, verse 11. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth his girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. They were trying to keep him from being killed. Then Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break mine heart? 
For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I am ready. It was already settled in his heart. Now, I don't know how I'm going to react in a situation like that. But I would like to at least say it's settled in my heart that I'm ready to go where God wants me to go. And I'm hoping that He'll give me the grace to do what He wants me to do when the time comes. I'm not going to say, uh, uh, go ahead, come on in here and shoot me. I'm not ashamed of the Lord. I hope that I have the grace to say I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I have a story to read you at the end. It's going to be very touching. It really smote my heart that there's people out there just like Paul. That we would never think are given it all. They're given their lives. Be ready, is all I'm saying. Be ready as we're pressed into service. When God wants to do something with you, just be ready. I am ready to preach the gospel. I'm prepared. You know, I could ask you to read Psalm chapter 2. We could read that. Why do the heathen rage? Why should we be ready? Because the world. It's just bursting its, its bonds. It, it, has, it, it cares nothing about authority. Everything is at the extreme now. Governments are falling apart. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they want to burst their bands? Because they hate God. Because they're against God. And so are many of us until someone told us about Jesus Christ and how much He loved us. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what they need. They need the gospel. That's what the world needs. We were the heathen that raged. How are we being used right now to bring others to Christ? Are you ready to preach? You know, souls on the average, two at a time, fall into hell. So, I kind of figured it out with my calculator on my smartphone. And that would be 10,800 souls while we're here. Almost 11,000 people in the world during our time here will plummet into hell. Now I wonder how many have heard the gospel. If it doesn't at least make you think, then you're dead. That people are dying without Christ. I don't know how many here, maybe in Ireland during this time, maybe it's only one or two, if that. We could prevent so many people that when they die, they don't go into eternity down into hell. They go into eternity up in heaven. Because we've told them. We were ready to preach. How many of them have heard the gospel? How many could you reach personally? God brought it to my mind. A man that, frankly, I lived a wicked life with for many years before I got saved. Because 17 of my years with the government were unsaved. And 17 of my years with the government before I retired we're saved. The first 17, you know, I just hung out with the rest of them. And there was a man named Mike Lynch. You remember Mike? He was in the pipe shop. Hard drinker, hard drugger. He was truly right along with him. And um, I got saved. And uh, Mike saw a difference. Well, it wasn't too long after I got saved, I don't know, it could have been five years or so, that Mike developed, now I know, pancreatic cancer. Man, it went quick. Within a month, two months, he went from us, from what we would call a fire plug. He was like, I mean, but nothing but muscle. This guy was strong to up skin and bones. 
But I went up to see him. And I thought, as I'm going into the room, the Holy Spirit says, you better give him the gospel. You better give him the gospel. And I was like, no. Like, it was right there next to me. I can't. No, no, no. I just came up here to see Mike. You better give him the gospel. Well, I gave him the gospel. I never saw somebody so appreciative, so thankful that God God loved them that much. I had about 20 minutes with him before the nurse says, you have to go, you can't stay. In fact, a couple times he had to hit his clicker for morphine, I guess, self-medicating. He wasn't the same person. It was just a, it was just a body laying there. But uh, I said, Mike, I got to go. He wasn't ready. I said, Dan, thanks for telling me all that. And uh, I came back the next day. I think it was the next day or just a day later, a few days. I came back, and, um, and I said, Mike, have you thought about what I told you? He said, Dan, I want to get saved. I grabbed his hand, and he asked the Lord to save him. And he had a smile on his face. I think he died within the next 72 hours. He was gone. But you know where he is? In heaven. He doesn't have pancreatic cancer anymore. It's only because we do things that are uncomfortable. We're afraid somebody's going to laugh at us. We have to come to a point where I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am ready to preach. Because people need that. The other people that came, as far as I could tell, they didn't have any words like that to tell them. We have the Bible. We have the words of life. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I just uh, want you to see in a couple verses, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul said, woe. What could happen to me? How would I feel? How would I hurt God? I have a necessity to preach the gospel. It's something I have to do. We should feel the same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. You see, we're, we're, we're going to serve those people out there. We're going to serve as many people as we can. Why? For Jesus. Everything's for Jesus. I have to preach because a necessity is laid upon me. Woe unto me if I don't tell others about Jesus Christ. I'm not preaching myself. I'm preaching Jesus. And that's what the world needs. They don't need to know about me. They need to know about Jesus. I'm a debtor. I am ready. Can you say that? I am ready. I will. I must tell the, the story of Jesus Christ to someone else. I've got to because I'm a debtor to Jesus. And I'm ready and willing to be used by Jesus Christ. Finally, back in Romans chapter 1, back in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So think about it. Verse 14, I am a debtor. That's the green light. And then there's the preparation. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. And then verse 16, why? For? Why? Here's the reason. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I see myself a debtor. I'm preparing myself to go. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of it. It's the same gospel that saved me. Don't let this be your stoplight. That you're ashamed of the gospel. That you're ashamed of Jesus Christ. Overcome it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason Mike Lynch is in heaven. It's because of God. Because His Holy Spirit won won that day. Just yield and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? People are dying and going to hell. And I'm a debtor. And I want to prepare myself because I am not ashamed. And every time I don't do something for Jesus, I am saying with my inaction, I am ashamed. Every time you say, stop, I can't do that. I can't do it. Then you're saying you're ashamed. I feel bad knowing this, Lord. You know, there's a shame attached to the gospel. (laughs) It is. There is a shame attached to it. It's not popular. You will get mocked. I know the one time I really was mocked was when I was sharing the gospel. (laughs) I've never been mocked for not sharing it. When you go down to the Peace Park and you start talking to teenagers, you get mocked. But if you don't talk to them, you won't get mocked. Hey, so, it's not, it's not popular. You ever been mocked? Somebody kind of tell you, you're kind of like a, you're a fool. You get mocked at, you get laughed at, scorned, but I'm not ashamed. Nor do I feel disgraced for being a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the greatest story that was ever told. It's the power of God. It changes lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn there. 1 Corinthians, just over to the right, a couple pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. So the world sees the message of the cross as foolishness. You're a, and guess what? If you're preaching that message of foolishness, you're a fool. You're a fool. You believe that? Huh? The humanists would tell you different. The evolutionists would tell you different. The scientists would tell you different. But none of them can save anybody. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus has the power to save. And I'm not ashamed of it. You're all a bunch of fools. I'll tell you who's going to be the real fool. Come that day, every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will happen. As we talk about much, Gavin and I, wouldn't it be better to bow the knee now than to bow later? So, They'll tell you, you believe a book of fairy tales and stories, and they'll laugh at you. As they laugh at you, 
it'll hurt your heart. You'll get a burden. I mean, when the door shuts on you, when you're trying to witness, or when somebody starts to laugh at you, people get unnerved when you talk to them about heaven and Jesus Christ. They'll, They'll start to laugh and giggle. The reason they do that is they're unnerved by it. You're talking about something. Why are you talking about that? <laughs> you know, like, well, you someday you're going to die. Do you know God? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. We need to be faithful Christians that are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's foolishness to the intelligent, to the wise out there. But you know what? They need the gospel too. They need to be told. It is the power of God on salvation. Even the religionists can't save. Even the, the good ones in the churches that are trying to figure out their way to heaven by jumping through this hoop and that hoop, they can't save either. There's only one. It's the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. It's a foolish gospel, and we're fools for telling it. We could say there are many things I'm ashamed of. You look back at your old life. Think about all the stuff that you should be ashamed of. Your attitude, the way you treated people, the life you lived. The way you treated God, you shook your finger in his face. And... But I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. What could the Lord do to me that I haven't done to him a thousand times? He could have every right to be ashamed of me and treat me accordingly, but he doesn't. So why would I be ashamed of him? Turn to Acts chapter 5. We're almost through here. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and in verse 41. You remember the, the apostles were preaching? And they were thrown in jail. They were beaten real good. In verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And they went home and they never did it again. Verse 42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house, They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. These aren't supermen. They're just people who have made up their mind that they're going to be moved by the Holy Spirit of God and they're going to count that suffering and that shame worthy. They were even worthy to suffer for His name. They weren't ashamed, that's all. We need to get to the place we need to get to the place that we thank God for some hardships and some tough times. And that resolve might be the push that we need. Just that little bit to push us over the edge. To despise the shame. To bear His reproach. You know, Jesus was on the cross outside the camp, it says. Outside the city walls. We're supposed to take the Gospel outside the church. We don't need it. There may be a few in here that need to hear the Gospel again. But for the most part, we don't need it. We need to give it. We already have it. We're to bear His reproach outside the camp outside the walls of this building. And finally, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 12, 2 Timothy 1.12 says, Wherefore... The For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. 
For I know whom I have believed, and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What did Paul commit to Jesus Christ? His soul. I've given him my soul. And even though I suffer these things, I'm not ashamed, he said, because I know in whom I've believed. I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have committed our souls for him to keep. How could we be ashamed? Rachel Joy Scott, committed Christian. I wasn't even 18 years old when she died. Does anybody know who this is? Columbine. Can I read it? The Columbine High School Massacre. It took place on April 20th, 1999, in the state of Colorado in the United States. Two senior students, Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold, shot and killed 12 students and one teacher and then took their own lives. This is about Rachel Joy Scott, one of the murdered victims in the shooting. She was the first one to get shot by the shooters. What I learned about Rachel in her last moments forced me to ask myself, would I have said yes? Her life and death tell us to stay committed to Jesus and to live passionately for God. On April 20th, 1998, one year before the massacre, Rachel wrote in her diary, I lost all my friends at school. Now that I've begun to walk my talk, they make fun of me. I don't even know what I've done. I don't really have to say anything, and they turn from me. She continues, I have no more personal friends at school. But you know what? I am going to, I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I'm going to justify, I'm not going to justify my faith to them, and I'm not going to hide the light that God has put into me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. I will take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me uh, to be with my best friend Jesus, then that's fine with me. I always knew being a Christian is having enemies, but I never thought that my friends were going to be those enemies. She states also, if I have to give up everything, I will. Three weeks before the shooting, she had witness to the shooters, Eric and Dylan. They were the odd pair out, and the students mostly stayed away from them. But Rachel tried to talk to them and encourage them to leave their hateful feelings and turn to Jesus. But they hated her the more. And even made homemade videotapes mocking her Christian faith. On the day of the shooting, Rachel was outside the school building having her lunch. Eric and Dylan entered the school campus and first shot Rachel. They shot her in the leg twice and then shot her again in the back. She laid there on the ground. They left her, but seconds later returned. On noticing that she was still alive, Eric walked over to Rachel and grabbed her by the hair and lifted her head and asked her, Do you still believe in your God? Her response was unflinching and unwavering. You know I do. And that provocated Eric, and he responded, then go be with him, and shot her in the temple. Two hours before the shooting, Rachel's final drawing was a picture of her eyes shedding 13 tears. 13 people were shot that day. That touch arose and then turned to blood drops. The rose is growing out of a Columbine plant and is connected to a verse from the Bible that says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That drawing inspired her parents to write a book called Rachel's Tears. She, she was saying, 
I'm not ashamed of Jesus. As her life was really, in a sense, falling apart socially, she was drawn closer to Jesus Christ. If that little girl, well, she would have been what? 35 years old by now. But at the time, just a 17-year-old girl, if she can live that kind of a life and say, I'm not ashamed of my Lord Jesus Christ, can't we do the same? Have we even suffered any of the scoffing and the, and the mocking that this girl went through? And she stayed, she stayed dedicated to Christ. Let's finish up in Hebrews chapter 13. And we're done. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 12, but I quote it to you. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. I am not ashamed. Let us go out there bearing the shame of the cross. Come what may. And serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Rachel did. I wonder how many people she's inspired to walk with God. What a life. A short life that had so much impact. Now, we must all take up, make up our minds once and for all that we will not be ashamed of Jesus. We're not going to be ashamed of the Gospel. Not that we say it with our words, but, but on our inaction. Not doing anything with all this precious knowledge of how we can show people how to go to heaven. We're debtors to as many people as we can help know what Christ has done for them. We owe them to tell them. We must truly prepare every day to say, I am ready to preach the Gospel. Let's say Romans 1.16 together. Everybody. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen? Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you take your word and plant it in our hearts, Lord. It was, a, it was the words out of your book, the book of Romans there, that tells us that uh, we need to see ourselves as debtors. We need to prepare to preach the gospel. And we shouldn't be ashamed of the ministry you've given us, the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And Lord, if we can learn from a couple ladies here, Amy Carmichael and Rachel Scott, that would give their lives, not be ashamed, and men would stand up and fill in the gaps. That there be some more sentries along the side of the cliff. That there be some people to turn some souls around from going to hell. Lord, every single one of us in here, all of us, could do a better job of being a Christian in this area of our life. So, Father, I just pray if something would just, just bang it home, Lord. Put it into our heart. May it gnaw at us. Over and over, if we don't do something about getting the gospel out to people that we've, we've shunned and we pass all the time, 
Help us to be like Rachel. Help us to be like Amy. I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd burn that message into our heart because it's your message. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.